0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast.
1: I don't know if you're aware or not because this kind of sneaks up on us but then does it because I think it's also one of those things that are lingering in the backs of our minds. uh, In the back of our minds. This Sunday marks the 15th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11. Has public perception of this event changed? Uh, There was an advertisement done by a mattress company. Ted was talking about this on the news. Actually referring to the Twin Tower collapsing. Uh, the Twin Towers collapsing and trying to sell mattresses. I know uh, the company has spoken out against it, but uh, I remember the first 10 years of this, th- th- they wouldn't show the footage of the planes going into the building. I, I think it was 10 years before we, s- we seemed to see it a lot in that first week. And then I, I think people w- were to the point, no more, please. And, and we're mourning this. And then it seemed a- after the 10th anniversary, we s- we started to see that footage Uh, although limited, certainly, again. To talk more about all of this, Richard Norton Smith is with us, U.S. author and presidential historian, to talk about uh, what are the lingering effects of 9-11 on the psyche, and he is with us now. Hello, Richard. How are you today? I am fine. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us. What What is the feeling, or what do you anticipate the feeling to be this weekend in America?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. In some ways... What really stands out is how little has changed uh, over the last fifteen years. I mean, if you if you stop to think, uh, in in a very real sense, uh, both American foreign policy and much of our domestic politics can be traced directly back to what happened that day, and and everything that has happened since. Um, uh, it's become uh, fodder for the current campaign. Um, there was a really fascinating poll this week, Pew. Did a poll, and they're very, you know, um, credible. I'll say, and, and they found that 40% of those polled believed that we were more vulnerable today to a similar style attack. Um, and um, 31%, I think, thought we were less or, or equally vulnerable. So you know, after 15 years, 75% of those that we answering that particular poll believed that we had made no progress in terms of protecting ourselves. Um, That's cause for concern, it seems to me, but, but even more, it's become partisan. Like, re- remember after 9 11, the extraordinary suspension of partisan politics. Um, it, you know, no one expected it to last this long. But here we are, 15 years later. And, and for example, in the same poll, twice as many Republicans uh, as Democrats or independents believe, in effect, that the president has not done uh, a a, a good job of of protecting us against uh, some more such attacks. Um, It's as if...
1: How can you say that, though? Sorry to interrupt, Richard, but how can people say that when, for the most part, uh, it's been a relatively safe place over the last 15 years? Is it it that? Is it that, or they that that they're just still that they're just still fearful? I think well,
2: first of all, let's you know, let's acknowledge there have been no shortage of major attacks in in recent years. Obviously, Paris and Brussels and um, uh, Turkey and, and elsewhere. Uh, San Bernardino, in our own
3: country. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no shortage of of, of news, in effect, uh, uh, surrounding all of this. I think, however, it's less a kind of considered, thoughtful weighing of all of the facts, and more uh, another reflection of just how politically polarized we we become. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll predict, you know, if, 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 were, if the current president, for example, were a Republican, those numbers would be would be reversed. So it has less to do with the demonstrable absence of of attacks over the last 15 years um, and more to do with the, you know, incredible, intense, polarizing nature of American politics.
1: How yeah, do you, how, does, how does a country overcome that? I mean, and we're seeing it all over the world. I mean, it's, it's divisive yeah, all yeah, over the world.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you're not going to like this. I mean, part of, the, part of this, I mean, the media has, you know, there's no such thing as the media. Yeah. All right? However, let's face it, um, um, there are large portions of the media that are dependent upon clips and eyeballs. And you get more clicks and eyeballs with controversy mm-hmm. um, and, and politicians, remember the congressman from South Carolina two years ago who interrupted the president's State of the Union address by shouting, "You lie." in an earlier time, he would have been shamed, but in our own time, you know, he became overnight a celebrity and, and vast amounts of campaign funds you know poured into his his coffers it's, it's The nature of the political process, I mean, the current campaign is a classic example. Um, It does seem to be vastly preoccupied with today's poll, Uh, you know, or, uh, I mean, it's the the political approach, if you you know what I mean. It's the mechanics of running for president. There's very little, uh, if you look at the ads, for example, that that the two candidates are running, They say almost nothing about what they would actually do
3: as
2: president. It's all about um, exploiting the perceived deficiencies of uh, of their opponent. In
1: other words... Let me ask this one question, though, Richard, on the media. At what point do we start accepting that social media and the people's own ability to communicate with each other and grab headlines... Is just as powerful as traditional media, and then at well, that and there. then and then at that point, at what point do we finally admit the media is just a reflection of the public
2: well I, I think we're there, and in fact, I think that's an excellent point. The fact of the matter is the nature of democracy is you stand in front of the mirror, all right mm-hmm. we get what we deserve
4: yeah. quite
2: frankly yeah. Yeah. we get what you know we um want and um but I think you're absolutely right. This this may be the election where social media really have come of age. Uh, I, I saw it just today.
1: But, no, I guess my point in all of this is, Richard, once the social media is as powerful as we all think it is now or more powerful, yeah. then do we start blaming social media? Because in the effect, what social media is, is the people. Then do we blame sure. the people? Well,
2: well, you know what? That's called, well, you know what? That's called responsibility. Yeah. I mean, democracy requires that as well. I mean, we're all, we are we all are responsible for the government and the political culture that we produce, um, whether we vote or not, uh, how we contribute to the ongoing debate, um, whether we uh, embrace conspiracy theories in lieu of substantive argument. Um, you know, 50 years ago, The role of the so-called mainstream media was to serve as a gatekeeper. We knew there were extremists out there, but they were kept out of the arena. Um, Today, the more extreme you are, the more likely you are to gain access to the
1: Hmm, arena. Very true. Uh, What you talked—you talked about what has uh, what has not changed. What has changed? Are we still fearful on nine eleven?
4: I think we are, but
2: I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting. I'm not sure we're truly fearful. I mean, I think it's one of those. It's almost, you know, there are poll questions that um, almost uh, shouldn't be asked because they produce an almost automatic response in advance. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's really a, a carefully thought out uh, response. Um, a certain, I mean, on on 9 11, in light of recent attacks around the world, uh, it would be a surprise if 40% of the people didn't express uh, concern Mm -hmm. about our vulnerability. Um, but that doesn't mean, and it gets back to your question about our own individual responsibilities, that doesn't mean that 15 years later, you know, we, we've given this issue a kind of thoughtful, exhaustive um, you know, um, examination that you would think it deserves.
1: Uh, there was um, there was rumor or there was uh, reports floating around today about the the mattress place in Texas uh, and oh. and of course they've since retracted all oh. of that and and using the 911 as as a, as a promotional vehicle. Right. I remember as I was saying in the preamble, uh, when this all happened, we saw those horrifying images. It seemed for a week steady, and then they stopped, yeah. and they stopped for ten years before they before they came back. Has this, has this event gone from tragedy to novelty in people's minds, do you think? Especially the generations no, that may so. not know it?
2: I, I don't think so. I think what um, that ad in Texas demonstrates is something very simple, which is uh, bad taste is eternal. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> 15 years from True. now, there'll be, be bad taste. Yeah. Uh, and someone else will, will probably be guilty. No, in fact, other than one more poll, I mean, it's interesting, 70-plus percent of of those polled can can tell you exactly no, ninety one percent. Ninety one percent of the Americans polled by Pew can tell you where they were when they heard mm. about nine eleven. That tells me that it is still seared into our collective consciousness. And that um it's gonna be a long time before um we we pass over nine eleven without um you know Catching our breath and um, thinking back to uh, those images that you allude to.
1: Does this anniversary make us look at this whole scenario, the whole terrorism thing, and, 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 and reevaluate it?
2: It should. I mean, if we were having uh, the kind of substantive, thoughtful um, campaign that, uh, you know, the American people deserve, um, that's exactly what would be going on. Um, I'm not sure anyone would maintain that that, in fact, is, is, is happening. But, Re- again, that, well, go ahead.
1: Richard Norton-Smith has been with us, U.S. author and presidential historian. Richard, if we want to find out more about you, website we can go to.
2: Oh, actually, yeah, you can just go on to uh, presidentsandpatriots.com, all one word.
1: Richard Norton-Smith has been with, uh, with us talking about the anniversary, upcoming anniversary this Sunday, marking the 15th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11. Richard, thank you very much for the time, and uh, much appreciated. Thank you for your interest. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, I'm sure you've heard on the news, uh, North Korea has tested a fifth- uh, long-range missile. This country says it uh, that this test will allow it to build uh, at will an array of stronger, smaller weapons. It's the fifth atomic test for the country in the second and the second in eight months. To talk more about all of this, Marius Grinnis is with us, former Canadian ambassador to Vietnam, North and South Korea, and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And with us now, hello, Marius. How are you today?
3: Uh, hi doing really well I should mention that I grew up in Hamilton and went to St. Patrick's and uh, Cathedral Boys High School
1: It's oh, it is great that uh, you're talking to Hamilton now and this is a very big uh week in Hamilton weekend this is Supercrawl where the arts community goes nuts and thousands and thousands of people came to town Super Marius, what is it about North Korea? Why are they constantly fighting a one-side, what appears to be a one-sided battle uh, that nobody else is interested in? Why are they doing this?
3: Well, the, I'm not sure if it's a one-sided uh, battle because uh, North Korean uh, leadership has been very, very astute in... Um, in, in uh, garnering the type of, uh, shall we say, publicity like this fifth uh, nuclear test, and certainly annoying uh, the people who they consider as their enemies uh, that is, uh, the United States and uh, South Korea. I'm uh, sorry. Sure, I'm not sure if. Uh, can, you know, maybe Canadians aren't as uh, as interested in uh, in what is happening in North Korea but uh, generally uh, certainly asian uh, countries uh, the neighborhood around north korea are particularly interested and concerned about what is happening there
1: i didn't mean to to assume that that we weren't concerned about this it's just that they're selling this as they have to protect themselves they have to defend themselves nobody's trying to blow north korea into the next uh, you know solar system
3: uh, agreed uh, but it's part of the uh, the polemics and the propaganda, and certainly it helps uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, the leader, to say that we are being threatened with invasion from uh, from the United States, for instance, and we have to continue to be strong to repel all those nasty enemies that are out there. It uh, it can help its, uh, his own... Uh, domestic uh, policies, if you like.
1: Well, is that not really the only reason? Because I don't think there's lots of countries threatening North Korea at this point, is there? Uh, Other than, of course, when they act like this and and they get everybody's attention.
3: There's uh, no one who is uh, threatening them, uh, at least not uh, directly. But you do have to remember that uh, this is a Stalinist authoritarian regime where... Kim Jong-un, uh, the leader, uh, wants to stay in power and use all means, including uh, his, uh, his military, to, to make sure that, uh, that uh, he stays in power. That makes for an interesting and uh, very, very tough uh, dynamic and quite embarrassing for their only real supporter, which is China.
1: And that was my next question. China obviously has spoken out against this. They don't like what's going on. Can they, can they stop this? Do they, how much control do they have? Do they have a handle on this?
3: Well, this is uh, certainly a question that I would put to the Chinese ambassador in uh, Pyongyang when, uh, whenever I visited Pyongyang and also to the uh, Chinese authorities in, uh, in Beijing. And uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, controversy in terms of how much, uh, how much uh, power influence China has. They have their own concerns, of course. Uh, they, they are dealing with a, a rather unpredictable nuclear-armed neighbor on one side, but China has, uh, has pushed for... The continued "quote" stability of uh, of the region, including uh, its uh, its neighbor North Korea, and of course they would they would certainly want to avoid, in case North Korea implodes, a, uh, a tsunami of uh, refugees pouring over uh, the Chinese border. Although China would be, I believe, uh, very capable of uh, of uh, dealing with it. So again it's uh, it's China that that is uh, truly the key uh to solving I believe uh the issue of of uh, North Korea hopefully in a very peaceful manner the relationship the North Korean Chinese uh, relationship uh, used to be described as close as quote lips to teeth but it's certainly fraying and it doesn't help what, uh, what North Korea has done in terms of its own nuclear uh, test uh, just, uh, just now. And also uh, the, what I would consider an insult to China as China was, uh, was hosting the G-20 uh, leaders uh, convention uh, or uh, conference uh, that, uh, that North Korea fired off uh, three test uh, missiles during that time. So, again, uh, uh, China, the key, but also the, certainly a, a, uh, I don't think it actually knows what to do with North Korea, quite frankly.
1: That was my next point. I mean, does the left hand know what the right hand's doing here? Uh, this isn't the way allies act. Uh, it, clearly, it appears that North Korea is not scared of China if they're willing to do things and have China come back and say what it
3: has well north korea over the the years and this starts rates right, uh, back to the korean war in uh, 1950 53 uh, certainly north korea seems to have a what i would consider a well calibrated sense of uh, china's reluctance uh, to to do anything uh, that uh, that would that would cause uh, north korea to to fall quite frankly and uh, so it can Thumb its nose uh, at uh, at China and up to now can uh, can get away with it. I don't know, and, and of course China has uh, has been uh, rather patient, even as it has been uh, insulted, if you like, uh, on a number of occasions, especially when during previous uh, before previous nuclear tests, China said don't do it, and North Korea did it is north korea
1: playing both sides of this coin by by using the threat of the west and then you know poking china i
3: i'm not sure i don't get a a great sense of of uh, north korean sophistication in terms of overall diplomacy which uh, quite frankly is uh, is dictated from uh, from the top and it doesn't really matter what its north korean uh, diplomats around the world have to say. So I don't think it's uh, a particularly sophisticated game that uh, that they try to play off uh, one side against uh, against the other. But uh, everything that they have tried, I think uh, has has not led to what they want, uh, which includes of course uh, official relations
1: with uh, with the United States is the uk is north korea a bigger issue for china than it is the rest of the world in other words is it china's responsibility to keep a handle on this
3: well one one could argue uh, that uh, that it uh, that it is uh, especially given the proximity and the unpredictability of uh, of north korea But but frankly, it's it's a problem for the entire world, Uh, the United Nations, uh, the Security Council, because you you have a country that has exported its nuclear and missile expertise expertise to other uh, countries uh, who are not necessarily particularly... Uh, wonderfully well, uh, well-behaved. Uh, North uh, North Korea has uh, has conducted all sorts of uh, games, if you like, uh, in terms of smuggling, and uh, and has sometimes gotten away with it. Not always. Uh, the biggest issue, I think, is uh, is exporting its its nuclear expert expertise against uh, what uh, what the rest of the world would hope is say a, uh, a a solid robust uh, non-proliferation uh, treaty and uh, that that's one of the big uh, dangers the nuclear technology is uh, is also another one a, a true threat uh, in in terms of global uh, concerns at what point does china say
1: enough's enough
3: well, it appears uh, so far that uh, China has uh, has certainly not reached that uh, that point. And uh, again, uh, as I mentioned, there is a re- reluctance in terms of of uh, stability uh, uh, the within North Korea, the danger of an implosion. I think ultimately, they China still has to. Uh, to figure out that it's in its long-term strategic interest to have a unified korea ie north and south korea uh, unified uh, but they're not uh, they're not there yet i think uh, some of the concerns of uh, china uh, have to do with uh, with the united states its rebalancing or pivot towards asia uh, pacific mm-hmm. and uh, what uh, what i have called uh, the great new game uh, that is being played uh, between china and uh, and the United States, so North Korea can be looked at as uh, as one of uh, the pawns uh, an important pawn, but nevertheless a uh, a pawn in the bigger great game is there any advantage
1: to china for this rogue behavior or is it just a thorn in the side for them
3: it's probably probably a bit of both in in the sense that uh, the perhaps the advantage is to ensure that that there is concern focus on uh, on north korea and uh, perhaps uh, away a little bit away the attention away from uh, China's own increasing military uh, capacity uh, that, that you you could certainly argue argue that um, but in the long term again I, I do think that uh, it's in its strategic interest to to make uh, to make a unified uh, Korea
1: as you were alluding to you uh- you know, China is obviously changing, albeit very, very slowly. Um, how does how, how does North Korea react to that? I mean, how can they not do the same?
3: Interesting. The I have uh, in the past argued that uh, that Vietnam, for instance, would be an ideal model of a country that uh, is still a communist authoritarian state but is prospering under what they call capitalism with uh, socialist uh, characteristics. And, of course, uh, Vietnam has, um, has uh, used that kind of model of quite successfully, uh, mimicking what, uh, what China has done. Uh, I, I do know that Kim Jong-un's uh, father, uh, uh, Kim Jong-il, uh, had traveled quite extensively to, to China and uh, to some of its uh, uh, prospering economic uh, zones near, near Hong Kong, and uh, possibly was considering uh, changes uh, his his son, Kim Jong-un, uh, of course, uh, was educated in Switzerland, and one would think uh, that he would have a better appreciation of what happens in, uh, in the West, uh, besides, uh, besides uh, basketball. But uh, on the other hand, since he has become leader, he has not uh, traveled at all. And in the meantime, of course, uh, China... Has uh, grown up to be the second largest economy, and possibly soon to be the the first, lar- the the biggest economy in the world. Uh, lots of lessons there, but but uh, on the other hand, I suspect that uh, the North Korean leadership is very very afraid that. Uh, You start letting things slip a bit and slide, and uh, people want more wealth, and uh, that could be a challenge to the central authorities. I am told that uh, there are uh, modest reforms that that are happening in terms of agriculture, uh, and uh, certainly Pyongyang itself, uh, from uh, photos I have seen since my time there, uh, looks more prosperous but again it's it 's the the political elite in uh, pyongyang the nomenclatura if you may that uh, that uh, are are really benefiting from any sort of opening and uh, if you go into the countryside it's uh, it's it 's a very very sad uh, sad affair uh, indeed i think there are uh, food shortages that uh, that continue to this day
1: how do North Koreans view China now? Uh, do they realize that China is not happy with what their leader is doing
3: i don't think uh, they uh, first of all, there is considerable control of information mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that ordinary North Korean citizens uh... have access to uh... For, for example there is no access by ordinary people to the internet they do have something that would be equivalent to an intranet where they can uh, find all the great history of uh... How wonderful north korea has been and how they won the north korean war etc but but uh... again uh... there are has been a dearth of information now that is changing uh, again the cell phones are are allowed if you can afford them and information is uh, seeping in so again in the long term i would uh, i would see a positive effect in terms of general information how that actually translates in terms of uh, the ordinary person's view of uh, China—difficult hmm. to say. What is what has happened in uh, the past and continues is uh, when you go to see uh, the occasional uh, market area where there where there is trade, you will see that about ninety percent of the goods uh, come from uh, from uh, from China. Everything from sandals to bicycles to uh, electronic uh, goods like uh, like ovens and uh, and all of those sort of uh, kind of uh, consumable um, items. So so again things are changing uh, but uh, but very slowly.
1: Is technology the answer here? Will it be more and more impossible to keep people under this cover with advancing technology even if you are trying to control it?
3: Well, I have uh, seen in other uh, countries uh, you you just cannot uh, uh, any authority cannot ultimately Control uh, the advance of technology. I'm talking about uh, computers, cell phones. Mm-hmm. If, uh, I've certainly seen uh, places like uh, like Vietnam, which uh, uh, in my time there in the 90s uh, certainly tried to to control uh, computer access, etc. And I've seen young uh, people get around that so so easily. So I, I expect and hope that that will uh, will actually happen in uh, in a place like North Korea it's it's a two it's a two-edged uh, sword uh, where again the authorities will try to control mm. uh, the the advance of uh, technology information technology and on the other hand uh, uh, people ordinary people uh, do have a thirst for what uh, what is happening and Many of the times, uh, I took the train quite a bit uh, from Beijing, Pyongyang, uh, return, and had the opportunity to, to talk to North Koreans, through my own interpreter, by the way, uh, because you couldn't trust North Korean interpreters. Mm. Uh, but uh, the, the big interest was what's happening in South Korea, and uh, uh, they, they would be fed uh, North Koreans used to be fed, and I suspect still are the the line that uh, South Korea is a very poor state uh, and uh things are are pretty bad there hmm. but uh, but people do know that uh, that Seoul is full of uh, full of skyscrapers and everybody has a car and and all of that uh, kind of stuff, and I think they uh, North Koreans are becoming um, uh, somewhat envious of that, uh, of that uh, situation.
1: We only have a, a, about 30 seconds left. Will this continue? Will we just continually see test after test, you know, provoca- provocation after provocation?
3: Well, it's, it's been interesting to see uh, to the reaction. Everybody's condemning the, the, uh, the test, number five uh... calling for even stronger uh... u-n sanctions and all that is uh... fine u-n uh, again you know sanctions against uh... uh... technology that could uh... could help uh, their missile program or or their nuclear program but uh... but nothing really concrete has uh... has stopped them and uh... one could argue that u-n sanctions ultimately have not worked uh, the way that they were intended to, and that uh, the diplomacy of engagement has uh, has also not not worked. Uh, diplomats are very very patient people. Look long term, and they try to uh, to do the the needful in a way that does not lead to violence or or war. But uh, but again, I think China is uh, is the key to figuring it out that uh, it's in its strategic interest to, to stop uh, sheltering uh, North Korea as it has in the past.
1: Marius Grinius has been with us, former Canadian ambassador to Vietnam, North and South Korea, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs in- uh, Institute. Marius, thank you very much for the time and insight. Fascinating discussion. Thank you. My pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, we all knew where we were when we heard the sad news that uh, Gordon Downey had inoperable brain cancer. And, of course, we all know where we were when that big concert was on. And uh, people gathered on decks and docks and backyards and in community centers and right the way across the land to, to watch this. Uh, amazing piece of Canadian history. Uh, Gord Downey has had a secret project, which he has been working on. He is set to release an album and a graphic novel devoted to a First Nations boy who died escaping a residential school. To talk more about all of this, Eric Elper is with his music publicist, and he is with us now. Hello, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm good, Scott. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, Did did anybody know about this? How private was this?
4: Uh, Pretty private when it came down to the actual content of the album, there were a couple of close people who knew outside of the management and the record label Arts and Crafts that Gord Downey was going to release a solo album, Um, but nobody had really revealed what the actual album was about, and I don't think anybody could have ever imagined that it would have been about the devastating story of Canada's Indian residential schools. Um, And now it kind of puts it into context of why mm. he mentioned what he did in t- talking about Native rights and Native issues to the Prime Minister in front of the entire country during that last show that the Tragically Hit did back in Kingston.
1: And that would have been a perfect opportunity for him to allude to this, but are you surprised he mentioned nothing about it?
4: No, I'm not surprised at all, because I think as a, as an artist, what you want to try to do whether you're in music or art or business, is you want to keep the message on point and you want to keep it focused. Mm. And I'm sure that he would have absolutely no doubt that it was the tragically hip's time to celebrate their music and the fans' time to celebrate the music as opposed to, hey, this is a great opportunity to plug my new album. But don't forget, I mean, the band and Downey haven't done any interviews in a long, long time, even throughout the... the uh, their, their last tour that they did, and he's certainly not going to be talking about this album. In fact, if you go to the Secret Path website, there is a very long and definitive um, amount of paragraphs that detail exactly why he felt to put this album together.
1: Your thoughts on that last show? Oh,
4: you know what? It still feels like a part of me has been ripped off. Um, as part of my body. I mean, this is a band that held up a mirror to our country for so long and talking about our stories and talking about our people and our government and our communities and towns and hockey players and sports. And just when that last note was being rung, it was a little bit of a, uh, a, you know, of a little bit of of tears coming down because, uh, you know, we kind of grew up in this country knowing about the band or knowing about, um, you know, these classic artists like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. And a lot of us never had the opportunity to see these people up close at their prime. And you can be roughly sure that the tragically will be talked about for decades to come in that manner that we were talking about those classic artists.
1: Uh, how do you think the public will embrace this new project?
4: I think there's going to be a lot of talk about it, certainly because all of the proceeds for the project, that's not only an album, but it's also a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to help support the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the, Minis- at the University of Manitoba, which was created to preserve the memory of what happened at the school institutions and the legacy that this country has when it comes to basically tearing apart the families by taking those children from their families. I think that will be talked about. I think it would be hard-pressed for anybody to understand where it's going to be heard other than online, like whether it's going to be on Apple Music or Spotify or, or various streaming sites. I just can't. I haven't heard the album, but I just can't picture it, of course, you know, being on your local hit radio station, yeah. that's for sure.
1: Uh, that being said, considering the situation, who knows, right?
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those important parts of, of, of our history when we look back at... at what we did, you know, every country has its embarrassments. Every country should be ashamed of what they did in their past. Every single country on this planet. But what you do with that information and where you go into the future, that marks where, what kind of people we all are. And with, for Gore Downey to come out when the spotlight is clearly on him and he knows it, to be able to put this in a spotlight. Look, he could have gone for the pop and rock album. He could have done the 12 hits on a record, mm-hmm. but he's never really been like that. He's always taken his his success and his celebrity to another level by um, by reaching out and telling people about what, what happened in this country. So, yeah, you never know what's going to happen, but I think, you know, uh, with the amount of talk, especially... You know, they released the information at 7 o'clock this morning. Mm. At 7.05, it was the number one trending topic on yeah. Twitter. So people are mm. definitely helping spread the word about this very important album.
1: Uh, you haven't heard it. What can you tell us about this or the graphic novel?
4: Um, well, the, it, it, it's interesting because um, the, the actual graphic novel um, is going to be coming out on the same day as, as the album, and it basically tells the story specifically of one 12-year-old boy and it's a pretty historic um, uh, spotlight that, that they've chosen to put on it. Um, having, of course, the National Center behind it is is going to be that much more important. But I think a lot of people, it's probably going to shed the light on a lot of, of, of the idea, of the story of this boy named Charlie Renjack and all the youth from that residential school area, the youth that never really made it home. And a lot of people didn't know, basically, where he was, because the parents were never told that he ran away. In fact, Mm. they didn't even realize that he had passed away until a plane arrived carrying his body. So just that alone is going to be, I think, pretty heavily graphically oriented. It's going to be 88 pages, and it's it's, um, illustrated by a guy by the name of Jeff Lemire, and Jeff Lemire's illustrations will be the one that people can see on Sunday, October the 23rd, when it airs for the first time across the nation on CBC.
1: Uh, Obviously, this issue is something that Canada has grappled with for decades. Uh, Lots have tried to do what what Gord is doing and what the current administration is trying to do. Will this be a catalyst? Will this be a turning point or just another... Uh, documentation of, as you said, one of our faults.
4: I'd love to see it being a turning point. In fact, you know, this this country and the media has had a really great history of listening to people like Neil Young and listening to people like Daniel Lenoir and now with Gore Downey and him just bringing the issue to light and calling for an action to the Indigenous issues, um, especially during Kingston, during that last show, and now with this one. um, This isn't the only thing that's happening based around, around the, the anniversary of, of his death. In fact, there's going to be um, a number of events that are going to be happening around the centre. I'm sure it's going to be a real hard moment if you are a politician in Ontario, and, and especially in Ontario, but for the other provinces, to deny what Gord Downey would like to see. Because I think there's one issue, there's one segment of the population that will always fight for Native rights and, and, and Indigenous issues. And then there's another where it's the every man on the street, the every woman on the street, kids that are learning about where we come from as people and us as a nation. They're going to be reacting to this, saying, if you fall on the wrong side of somebody like Gore Downey, you're in the wrong. Hmm. And then it's up for all of us to get educated so that we're, we become... Not intolerant of these issues, but more education um, in our brains about where this story come from and, and how we got from there to here. Because I don't think that you can talk about us as a nation without figuring out where we came from in the first place.
1: And both released October eighteenth. Um, yeah, actually, they'll be
4: um, actually on October the uh, I think it's the October the twenty third. Is is when it's going to come out, but then basically um, on October the 23rd is going to be the CTV, the CBC television special, and then the book and the the album comes out on the week before. Yep, on the 18th.
1: Eric Alper has been with us, music publicist. Gord Downey has had a project he's been working on, a uh, album and I guess it started as poetry, then became an album, and a graphic novel devoted to a First Nations boy who died escaping residential, the residential school system. Eric Alper has been with us, music publicist. Eric, as always, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
4: Hey, thanks so much, Scott. Have a great weekend. You're
1: listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. SuperCrawl taking place this weekend on James Street in Hamilton. Uh, another great lineup, another great addition of, to talk how it's even bigger and better this year. Tim Potosick is with us, co-owner of Sonic Onion, organizer of SuperCrawl, and with us now. Hello, Tim. How you doing? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off uh, at this point, but are things going smoothly as you're slowly kicking this off?
0: Things are uh for the most part perfectly on track.
1: It's great. Uh and and tell people how this is different from say last year or the year before is the addition of.
0: Well, I just have to say everything's just a tiny bit bigger. Um more vendors, more bands, a little bit bigger stages, some stage positioning, some stage positioning changes. The circus performance is uh custom designed for Supercrawl this year, so it's like a got all this new gear and they wanted to try it out so they have designed this incredible show with girls uh winching up and down walls on ropes it's amazing so yeah we're, uh, we're so awesome. what
1: the, the big bicycle our tricycle wasn't enough i mean uh w- <laughs> this sounds it's like, like a, this sounds like this is going to be interesting because it's always a very interesting part of the crawl for sure we like to mix it
0: up you know and um i'm yeah i'm really excited and the, the cool thing about the new show they've been Rehearsing down here all week a little bit, but they're going to do a rehearsal tonight actually, and um, nobody knows about. We're just going to do a tweet tweet out uh, just after nine. They're going to rehearse for thirty minutes. They're going to do the show without the pyro, just scaling up and down the walls to the music and and reenacting the show. So we get like kind of like a show in three quarters. Um, instead of just one, which is really awesome.
1: I remember seeing that on the Friday afternoon a couple of years ago when we were broadcasting from there. So a lot of this stuff, from what we understand, it's new stuff. We haven't seen it before. Nobody's seen it yet.
0: Nobody has ever seen the show, so it should be pretty fun.
1: All right, uh, give us a, a little taste of the entertainment that's coming up.
0: Oh boy, tonight's the rock night. So we've got the trues, uh, and uh the reason, uh reuniting, the reason local band reuniting to play and open for the trues on the main stage. And then on the second stage we've got the Dirty Nil who are uh, up and comers for sure, punk rock band and uh uh F expletive up is uh playing uh, as headlining that stage. So it's gonna be it's pretty punk rock. We got a pretty punk rock um second stage down by murray street and a pretty rock and roll stage at the main stage and some amazing talent on the local stage in between
1: all right so as it rolls through the weekend what can we expect Stay if you're going out there for a saturday afternoon
0: uh well i hope you like crowds it's going to be busy um so lots of people got close to 40 food trucks over 100 vendors performances going on from noon while today we've got performances going on from six until midnight Tomorrow we've got performances midnight or noon till midnight. It's just it's action packed. There's something for everybody. There's a massive family zone, so you can bring the kids down and do tons of like hands-on arts and crafts for the kids. We've got 24 vendors in that area that are explicitly uh, there to uh, to engage uh, kids under 10, under 12. Um, so something for
1: everyone. Tips for somebody who's never been to this event. What's the best way to do Supercrawl?
0: uh best way to do supercrawl well be prepared be prepared to walk we've got almost two kilometers of uh road closure so the festival has grown geographically a little bit um and uh yeah it's like you know the best thing to do at supercrawl is maybe walk it but get involved do it we've got two art installations that you can uh activate with so there's one that's a cloud-based system you can push the clouds around and then we've got another one the a skeetball, flaming skeetball, so you can go and play skeetball, depending on how high you score. It determines how high your flame will shoot into the air. <laughs> so there's all this, like, really cool interactive stuff that you can do, and uh, you should really do it. It's not the same if you don't.
1: Tim Potosick, co-owner of Sonic Onion, organizer of Super Crawl. It is going on now and all weekend long in, the downtown, in downtown Hamilton, of course, all around James Street. Uh, Tim, good luck with it again this year. Can't wait. Thank you very much. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900
0: CHML.